Good morning again. So, um, as Emma said, we're going to be starting a new preach series. It's called Acts of Courage. Any, any guesses as to what book of the Bible we might be going through? <laughs> so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be uh, working our way through the first half of Acts, um, and it's going to take us right the way through to the end of July, um, if it all goes according to plan. We'll have to see how it, see how it all works out. Acts was written by um, Luke, who was a doctor, and he travelled with Paul for some time. In fact, Luke was there at the very end of Paul's ministry. We see that in 2 Timothy um, chapter 4. He joined the team, maybe as a, a missions doctor, uh, but by the end of it, he ended up writing, um, and I think, this is, I think this is the case, he ended up writing more of the New Testament than anyone else. Not more books, but in a sense, if you're adding all the chapters up. Acts was probably written, although there's a little bit of, um, uh, little bit of doubt on this, Acts was probably written in about AD 62, which is about 30 years after the death of Christ, and it was written by Luke just a few years before um, Paul was martyred in Rome. So it's sort of pretty fresh. So by the end of the book, those words that are being written down, they are very fresh in Luke's mind. Um, And like I say, even the oldest stuff in the book of Acts would have only been from about 30 years um, earlier. It's Luke's account of the early church, and with particular two of the apostles. It starts with Peter, and that's the one we're going to be focusing on um, for the first 12 chapters or so, and then it transfers across to the apostle Paul, and we're not really going to touch much of his ministry, but we might. We might come back to it next year or the year after and pick up the second half um, of the book of Acts. We'll sort of see how we go. This is Luke's second book. In his first book, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And uh, it was just the very beginning. The book of Acts, in a sense, is what Jesus continued to do and teach through his apostles, through his um, followers. So in some ways, the book of Acts is a sequel. It's a sequel to the gospel of Luke and so, again, I'd encourage you in your own time, spend some time, read through the book of Acts, read through the Gospel of Luke. It will give you good preparation um, as we work our way through um, this book. And do you know what? The book of Acts isn't the end. It's not like it's a two-parter. The Gospel of Luke, then the book of Acts. It's, it's just the start. It's going on and on. And on, Jesus is continued, continuing to do and teach through his church. In actual fact, to be more precise, Jesus is continuing to do and teach through you. Did you know that? You're, you're just part of this big story of everything that God is, un, uh, is working out. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, You're part of God's big story. Why don't you also just say to that person next to you, why don't you say that 
Jesus is still doing and teaching through you. You're part of the ongoing story of Acts. Acts didn't really finish in 28, chapter 28. It's still going on and on and on, and we're part of it. It's wonderful. Right, let's read um, the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. Then I'll pray, and then we'll see where we go from there. In the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you pick that up? Just the beginning. This is, this is the Gospel of Luke. He wrote Theophilus this, let this book, and he just, he just began to unwrap everything that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were still gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, they're probably angels, and, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you, will you please help me to communicate effectively today? I pray, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? That very same spirit spoken about in Acts chapter 1, would you come and fill me afresh right now, Lord God, that I'll be able to preach with power. Lord, I need your enabling. Help me to get rid of all the stuff you don't want me to say. Help me to focus on the stuff you do want me to say. And I pray, will we have open, receptive hearts? Would we have alert minds? I pray we'd be like blotting paper for your word, just soaking up all the good stuff, I pray. And I ask you, Lord, that there will be power in the word today that will create life within within us as we listen. Very life, faith springing up. Greater expectation for all that you've got for us. I ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And we all said together, Amen. Brilliant. There's a 40 days overlap between the end of Luke and the beginning of of Acts, we find very similar things spoken about. So the words that I've just read out, if you turn to Luke chapter 24, we're not going to turn there because of time, um, but if you read that, you'd say, oh, there's a whole load of overlap in there. And as I preach today, I've got three main points that I'll get to in a little while. Um, they appear both in Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1. And it's interesting that Luke really wanted this stuff to be nailed down. 
He didn't want people to miss it. So he put it at the end of one letter and at the beginning of the other letter because he wanted um, Theophilia or whatever his name was to make sure that he didn't miss it. And I wonder if in the sovereignty of God it's there like that because he doesn't want his church to miss it either. There's some important stuff in these 11 verses that we need to grasp hold of because it will have an impact in what we believe and therefore an impact in how we live life. Luke starts, the Gospel of Luke starts with the birth of Christ and finishes with Christ's ascension or going into heaven. The book of Acts starts with Christ's ascension into heaven and finishes with the gospel being proclaimed as far as Rome, right to the centre of the superpower that was ruling at that time. The gospel had reached all that way round. It was absolutely incredible. Now you know we've been enjoying, or I have anyway, I've been enjoying a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life over the last couple of months and I know that you have as well. It's good, isn't it? I believe God is doing something um, new in us at this time. And I know our desire as elders is that we keep in step with him, that in no way we quench what he wants to do, and we stay open just to him operating. Now, I believe, I'm so thrilled. I mean, it wasn't directly linked. We planned to do the Acts series way before we started enjoying fresh moves of the Holy Spirit. But I am so pleased that we are working our way through the book of Acts because there is so much in it that is going to help teach us how we steward him and what he's doing, and if that's the right thing to say, and we facilitate his work. But also I believe it's going to propel us into all God has for us in the future as well. Now we've called this series Acts of Courage because courage is one of the characteristics that really shines through in this book. Whether it's courage in failure or what looks like failure, whether it's courage in grief, whether it's courage in gospel, gospel proclamation, whether it's courage when we pray for the sick. I mean, we need courage for all of these things. Whether it's courage when we confront demonic activity, whether it's courage that we can be incredibly and ludicrously generous, whether it's courage in the face of opposition and conflict, whether it's courage when we flee to other places, which is what they did in Acts, whether it's just courage in opening up our homes and showing a level of hospitality that that needs a courage for that to take place. We see courage right the way through the book of Acts. And I know for myself that I need more courage in my life. And I'm pretty certain that you would join me in saying, cool, you'd like to see a bit more courage in your lives as well. Michael Green says this, neither the strategy or tactics of the first Christians were particularly remarkable. What was remarkable was their conviction, their passion, and their determination to act as Christ's embassy to a rebel world, whatever the consequences. So it's interesting, we felt called to do this this preach series at this time. I think what's also interesting is just on the back of Dave Holden being with us on Wednesday, and he brought a prophetic word for us as a church that we're not to have a grasshopper mentality. It's taken from uh, the book of Numbers, 
where the 12 spies were sent into the promised land. And I'm sure many of you know the story. Two of them came back and said, we can do this. But 10 said, do you know what? We went round the land and although it is a good land, we, we were just like grasshoppers in comparison to the giants in the land. We, we felt like grasshoppers, but not only that, they viewed us as grasshoppers as well. Although it's a good land, we surely cannot take this land. It is too difficult for us. It is too much for us. We're better just to stay wandering around the desert rather than step out in faith, trust God, and go for what he calls us to do. And they missed it. They spent 40 years. They missed it because they thought they were grasshoppers. And Dave Holden brought this word that we're not to think like grasshoppers. We're to think like those who are loved by God, who carry the promises of God with everything he has for us. Because he's got things he wants us to do that if we have a grasshopper mentality, we're going to miss. We don't want to miss it, do we? On the back of Wednesday, Steve um, had a word from Sam. When we say a word, he had a Bible verse. He said, all this Christian jargon. You know what I mean? He had a Bible verse that he, he texted to us, and he said, this is it. It's from 2 Samuel 22. For by you, for by God, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. He's it's, it's talking that because God is with me, I can do a whole load of stuff that I could not do if he wasn't. Nick Beanie at the same prayer meeting on Wednesday night um, shared this, and it's from David and Goliath. And when David confronted Goliath, I love the attitude here. It's so much, it doesn't come natural to me, but I love the attitude that he's got. It's like, he says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I love it. It's like he's picking a fight. You know, I, 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 I'm up for this and I'm going to take you down. I think that's the attitude that as God's people we are called to have. That with the promises God gives to us, no, we are going to take them. We are going after them. We are going to claim them. And that is why I'm so thrilled that we are doing this preach series at this time. I don't think the timing could be better. God wants to do stuff with us through this series. Now, let's get on to the passage. I won't be long in the passage because I want us to come back and we're going to see what God wants to do with us on the back of um, what's contained in these first 11 verses um, of Acts. There's three, three points that I want to cover that I've pulled out of this and Luke 24. The first one is this, Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. The second one is this, gospel to the ends of the earth. And the last one, Holy Spirit and power. So let's pick up the first one. Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. We see in the first three verses of Acts chapter 1, and then from verses 9 to 11, that the Christian message centers on the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, now look, I've just got to be honest with you guys. You have been absolutely atrocious so far this morning with your feedback to me. Okay, I've just got to be honest with you. Now, I know it's a little bit warm, but you're going to have to fight through the warmth. So, when I say amen, you say? Right, good, we've got it going, okay. 
So, the Christian message centres around Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Excellent. And that's what our worship did this morning as well. It's centred on the person of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that, that, that Jesus, you know, that Luke wants to focus. <laughs> no, not out of time. Not out of time. You're going to throw me. It's interesting that Luke wanted to remind Theophilus that it centres on Jesus Christ. It says, it says that he wanted to give an orderly account so that Theophilus, Phyllis, or whatever his name is, could have certainty from the beginning. You see, you, you may have come along here and think, you know, this Christian stuff's really good, and I love the emotion in the singing. I love the stories, but it can't be trusted. This is 2,000 years ago. No, it says that Luke wrote an orderly account that we can have certainty from the beginning about what Jesus Christ came to do, what he taught, and what he accomplished. And our faith in God rests in facts of what Jesus Christ did. So my faith rests in what Jesus came to do. And the Gospels and the book of Acts are orderly accounts. It's written down so that the people who read it, and this would only have been a few years after, could have understand it and base their lives on what was written there. And it's true for us as well today. And it's important that we remember these things. Jesus Christ, who he is, what he came to do. It's so important that we know this. But in actual fact, Luke goes further. It's interesting that Luke wants to emphasize the fact that Jesus just didn't do a load of stuff. He actually came and he rose from the dead. It says in Acts 1 verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Luke wanted to give the early disciples verification that Jesus had risen from the dead. They had seen him. Over 500 people saw the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead and he even showed them his hands, his feet and his sight. Jesus had risen from the dead. They'd heard him speak and teach. It says here that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. You know, they'd spent three years with him. He'd spoken about the kingdom of God. Even after three years of Jesus' amazing anointed teaching, they still hadn't got it. So he needed another 40 days where he taught them extensively about the kingdom of God. They touched him. So people actually reached out and saw that Jesus physically rose from the dead. This wasn't a figment of their imagination. It wasn't just a ghost rising. It wasn't just some visions or dreams. Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead and was given a new body. In actual fact, so physical was this resurrection from from the dead, he ate. It went even further than that. It says he even cooked food. I mean, Jesus did. There wasn't any doubt. And Luke wanted, Luke wanted the early followers, to understand this. Because if Jesus Christ hasn't risen from the dead, they had no hope. They had a collection of nice stories about a wonderful man, but there was no hope for him. And it's the same for us today. We must understand that Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead and he was given a new body. Because if we don't, we have no hope and we are to be pitied more than most men. There is a resurrection from the dead, and Jesus Christ is the first one who did it. Thus it is written in Luke 24, verse 46. 
parallel passage to the one in Acts. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. In Hebrews 10 verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This isn't just like other people that Jesus rose from the dead. You know like he rose Lazarus from the dead? Well, actually, Lazarus was still clothed in weakness. He could still get sick. He could still die. Or, well, he did die. He's not still walking around, is he? So Lazarus, at some point, died. So he was raised from the dead. But it didn't defeat death in that way. But when Jesus, our victor, rose from the dead, it was a completely different rising. He was the first of a new man. He rose from the dead. His body was now no longer sort of tainted with sickness or weakness. He's not going to die in the future. He has been raised immortal, all-powerful, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it says in Corinthians, I think, that he is the first fruits of what we now have. So our raising from the dead, our resurrection from the dead that baptism symbolizes, in some ways is much better than what Lazarus had. Because it goes on and on and on and on. And this is the hope we have within us. We have been born again. We have been united with Christ. And Luke was so keen that the early Christians understood these things because it gave them hope in face of sickness. It gave them hope in times of persecution. It helped them to keep going knowing that they have been joined to the immortal, invisible, all-powerful Jesus Christ. And that's what kept them going. If you read the book of Acts, if you, want, if you want church like the book of Acts, and in some ways I say yes, but in other ways I say no. Because people get martyred. We're going to look at that. It seems certainly if you read, I think it's Acts chapter 5, that God kills people in the church. Ooh. Don't know if we want that bit. We scrub Acts, Acts 5, I think it's Acts 5, isn't it, out of our Bible. We don't want that bit. But, but it's... That seems, as you read it, to be the case of what is going on. But you have been joined to Christ. Anyway, that was something that I get. That's probably a bad thing to say because now you're going to be thinking, what? And you're going to have to wait about two months until we get there. So. But we find there he didn't just rise from the dead, that he ascended. He ascended into heaven. It says in Acts 1 verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. It must have been absolutely incredible. Can you imagine it? They were there watching as he goes up into heaven and it suddenly disappears from sight. Chloe sometimes says that when I'm watching the football, I just have this gormless look on my face. It's just like... I just stop. I could be standing. I could be walking around doing stuff. And, and if the football's on in the background, I just suddenly take, uh, take you know, I, I get interested. So I just stop and look. And everything, it's like everything. I miss everything else going on. Kids strangling each other. Chaos breaks out. The whole thing going on. It's football. <laughs> I wonder if they were a bit like that. They were just captivated. Absolutely captivated as Jesus ascended before their very eyes. He's no longer in the room. Jesus didn't just disappear. He was taken into heaven. I mean, it's important there were witnesses Jesus ascended into heaven. That's why we know that he did that. And now Christ is in heaven. 
with angelic choirs singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. That's where he is. One minute he's walking around cooking a bit of fish and eating with his disciples. Then he ascends up into heaven. He's sat at the right hand of the Father with angelic choirs singing. The very ones we were joining with this morning as we worship Jesus Christ. Wow. He's not in the house anymore. He's seated at God's right hand. It's a visible demonstration that God's work of redemption is complete. Although I said actually, you know, that Luke is just the start and then it goes into Acts and then it goes into us and we've still got a part to play and that's absolutely true. But actually when it comes to the work of redemption and our salvation, it's done. Jesus is sat down. It is finished. He has been victorious. He has won. This isn't a battle as to will he, will he come through in the end, we really hope you will. No, he sat down, angels are worshipping, he is the victor. He is the conqueror. Christ is seated at the right hand of God and it's a visible demonstration that God's work of redemption is complete, it is finished. You know, when I am nervous When I am still trying to get stuff done because it isn't finished, I'm running around. When I've sat down, I have finished. I don't need to do anything more. It's complete. And the one we come and worship has complete victory in your salvation. It's wonderful. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know what he's doing as well now? He's praying for us. Paul Skembry, Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that awesome? You think, you woke up too late to pray this morning. Our great high priest... Our great mediator, the one who loves us, he is praying for you. He brings our requests to the Father. Since the ever-living Christ intercedes for believers, we have great confidence that we will never perish. In actual fact, we can know that in all things... in our lives, work together for our good and for his glory. Christ's ascension was not for dramatic effect. It wasn't a smoke and light show. It had real importance because Christians, we build our lives on the fact that he died for our sins, he rose again victorious, he ascended into heaven, he sat at the Father's right hand, he has won, it gives us great confidence. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll know that they needed great confidence because they were going to face odds and situations that would even lead some of them to give up their lives because of their testimony for Christ. They needed to know that Christ was victorious, Christ was glorious, Christ was sitting on the throne. And we need to know that too. Amen.
Good. Well done. I think I spent the whole of this year saying this. I'm going to just ask you this question. How effective is the gospel in your life? Today I've just communicated a different aspect of the wonderful gospel that we enjoy. How much space are you giving it in your life? Jesus taught, didn't he, about the seed being planted in soil. Are you going to allow the things I've been communicating now to be stolen away by the devil before you've even left this place, you've forgotten them and you've lost any benefit from what you've heard today? Or are you going to treasure them and make sure they're planted in good soil? Are you going to allow the distractions of this life or the desire for money and other things just to quench the life of God out of you so you go around running after all different things rather than clearing it out and giving good space for the word of God to dwell in your life? Are you going to make sure you dig the seed right deep down into your heart so when persecution and difficulty comes, it has space to grow and endure in spite of the heat of persecution, disappointment and difficulty? Now, in the whole Strengthen Yourself in God series that we did, I I, I laboured again and again and again. We must give space for the word of God to grow in our hearts. Otherwise, when difficulties come, we've got nothing to fall back on. Christ's ascension and all he means for us is so important. It's another wonderful facet of truth that we can grab hold of and can be a sure foundation in our lives. That was the longest point. (laughs) Next two points are quicker. Gospel to the ends of the earth. If Jesus has ascended into heaven, right, this is a question for you, but I think you're bright. I think you're going to get this. If Jesus has ascended into heaven, and yet this is only the start of all that Jesus began to do and teach, what on earth is supposed to happen now? What... What's supposed to happen now? Well, it says it in Luke 24. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And in Acts 1 verse 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The apostles were called after the ascension of Christ, after him going up into heaven, they were called to be witnesses of everything Jesus did and everything Jesus accomplished. If the people of their day were going to find out what Jesus had been up to, who was going to tell them? They were the church, the disciples, the apostles. They were witnesses of these things. If our dear, dear town and our dear, dear communities are going to find out about the love of Jesus who is it that's going to tell them? Yeah. That's Steve and Iris at the moment. You're going to be busy. They were commissioned to go and make disciples. And these words are meant to define us until Christ returns. There's like, like a time frame. Christ ascended into heaven. He gave this command. When Christ returns, we don't need to do it anymore. But up until that point, we need to get busy. There's a, there's a mandate. There's something we need to be doing. There's a going that we need to be involved in. And we are witnesses of these things. You, you might say, no, I, I, I haven't seen these things. 
The apostles have seen them, but I haven't seen them. No, we are called to be witnesses as well. We bear witness of the things we have seen, the things we have encountered, what God has done in our lives. That's the story we give witness to. The truth from the Bible, that is a sure and steady foundation. It is something personal that we say, Christ is at work. Look at what Christ is doing in my life. The apostles were witnesses. They bore witness to what they saw, what they heard, and what they knew by personal presence and experience. By nature, to be a witness is something first-hand. Not second-hand. It's something that is first-hand. They weren't called to be advocates in that sense. They weren't, they weren't called to... Um, an advocate would be someone who speaks or writes in support or defense of a person or a cause. That, that could be second-hand. And in a sense, we do do that as well. But actually, we're called to be witnesses. Do you know what? A child can bear witness. A child can say, I saw this. I heard that. That is what happened. You can be a witness with fumbling words. You can, be, you can be a witness where even you don't totally fully understand everything that's going on, but you can still bear witness to what you know. That's what we're called to do. You may not know the full argument. You may not be able to argue with these uh, mighty, clever people with their doctorates and all of their other things. You, you might be able to, and that's wonderful. But you might not be able to do that. But actually, God calls you to be a witness of what you've seen, what you've heard, what God has done in your life. And we can all do that. We're called to be witnesses in our setting and in our surrounding. We're called to bear testimony of what God has done in our lives. You may be a man or a woman with stuttering words. You may be fearful You may feel that in your work situation or family situation, you are surrounded by people much cleverer and much more able than you. And in some ways that might be true, but God calls you to be a witness of what God has done in your life and what he's doing in the lives of others around you. And that is powerful. God didn't send out a whole load of advocates. He sent out a whole load of witnesses. Your words are powerful. They are life-changing as you step out in faith. As you share what God has done in you. And in many ways, it's a totally ridiculous commission, isn't it? I mean, it was just a handful of uneducated men. They wouldn't have been able to argue with the scholars of their day. A few years later, the Apostle Paul would get saved. Now, he had a mighty brain. Much like myself. (laughs) Anyone who knows me knows that's not true. But he had a mighty... But these guys... I mean, Luke was pretty sharp. But but a lot of them weren't. But they would have bear witness of what Jesus had done. And I really feel that through this series, I believe the Holy Spirit wants wants to freshly equip you, give you fresh faith that you may be witnesses of everything that God has done everything you've seen, everything he's doing in your life and in the lives of those around you because it's powerful in God's hand. It might only be a few stuttering words you get out, but it will make a phenomenal 
difference. To Jerusalem, those people right around you, your nearest and dearest, your family, those in your workplaces. Judea, maybe God will start to bring people across your path where you have to change your diary a little bit to interact with them, but God still wants you to go as far as Judea. Or maybe Samaria. People that aren't that far away, they're just different from you. A different background, different education, different culture. You might have to work a bit harder to understand them or where they're coming from, like they will with you. But God calls you to go to them as well. And then to the ends of the earth. And I tell you, it was incredible on Wednesday. We prayed with Dave Holden for three different places. We prayed for Brussels, Geneva and Rome. And just, just his heart. And we join him in it, our heart, that we would see churches planted there. I mean, just a little, little fact about Brussels. Only 0.8% of the Belgian population is, is Bible-believing Christian. Just 0.8%. So not even a whole person in 100. 0.8%. And of them, only 0.4% are native to Belgium. So that, that would mean the other 0.4% are from overseas who are Christians who have just come in to the nation. There is a gospel drought there. And it's so great we can pray, we can give money, um, we, can, we can go to Ashburnham, we can get stuck in. We may even send some of you to Brussels, to Rome, to Geneva. What do you reckon? Yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? Lake Geneva. Actually, should we all go? <laughs> But that's what we're caught up in. But we're not left on our own. And I'm just going to finish with this point. We're not left on our own, are we? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. (laughs) But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The, the third thing I notice from both Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1 is there is a, an equipping for the task. They weren't just left and said, well, try and be a bit braver. Look, come on in. If, if you really grit your teeth and you clench your fist, you can be a bit braver. You can just do a bit better than you were doing before. That's not what happened. They were clothed. With power from on high, Jesus promised an upgrade. He promised, I'm going to refit you with the Holy Spirit. I am going to equip you for everything I'm calling you to do. This isn't about being born again. The disciples were already following Jesus. They they were already Christians, if you want to use that phrase. This is an equipping for task. This is an empowering for service. And over the last few months, we've spoken loads of different things that the Holy Spirit does when he comes and fills us. It's absolutely wonderful. But if you read Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, the equipping for service we read about here is power. The Holy Spirit came that they would have power. They would have a fresh power to fulfill a commission that was far beyond any natural ability they had. They hadn't been further than Galilee, had they? They'd basically lived their lives somewhere between Galilee and Jerusalem. And when the first disciples got to Jerusalem, they probably got a nosebleed. They'd never been that far before. And yet yet Jesus said, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth. Peter, you're even going to go to Rome. You know, Peter called it the Sea of, sea of, um, sea of Galilee. It was a lake. 
He just hadn't travelled very far. Imagine when he got on a boat to go to Rome. That's what God did in him. He equipped him with power. You will receive power. You are to wait until you have been clothed with power from on high. You've been clothed with boldness. You've been clothed with power for signs, wonders and miracles. You've been clothed with power for prophetic insight. You've been clothed with power to seeing the oppressed set free. You've been clothed with power to endure persecution. This is the power that Jesus was promising and that came in Acts chapter 2. This is the type of equipping that the disciples were expecting. And the book of Acts describes a church that has been clothed with power. You may say, is it still for us? Well, let me ask you a question. Has the Great Commission been completed yet? Therefore, it's still for us. Because it was an equipping, it was an equipping and an empowering for mission to take the gospel out, to see lives transformed, to see encounters with the Father. That is why the Holy Spirit was given to us. You know, I spoke about witnesses as well. You know, the Holy Spirit comes and fills us that we can be witnesses of these things. You may not have been physically there when Jesus rose from the dead, but the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and he was. And he gives you words to say. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it transforms your lifestyle from the inside out. It causes you to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. It fill our hearts with love for one another. It turn us into fearless witnesses of Jesus Christ as we are filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, friend, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know you've been clothed with power? Have you been clothed with power? Why don't we stand? Let me uh, invite the band back up. Three things from this passage. Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. He is our everything. A gospel to the ends of the earth. (laughs) And Holy Spirit power to equip us for the task. Why don't you just start to speak to God? If you don't know what to pray and you've got the gift of tongues, that's a good thing to just pray in tongues. Pray in that heavenly language that God has given you. If uh, you can also just pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you highlight to me how I need to respond from this word? We've got five minutes until the children come back in. Just really want to make this count. <laughs> I think this uh, preach series is so significant for us as a church. It's all about Jesus. Time and time again we'll come back and 
be, be marvelling at who Jesus is. Some of the most amazing preaches are through the book of Acts just about Jesus. Church, we need to just keep centering our lives on him, feeding our souls on what he's done, finding fresh life and faith growing up from that. But we need to know it's not just for us. There's a whole world that doesn't know him. 42% of the world is still unreached with the gospel. 42%. has been reached in some way. And we need a fresh clothing with power from on high. So just invite you to come afresh upon us, Holy Spirit. Paul Woods had a uh, picture in the morning prayer meeting and it's of a lot of sponges, all different shapes, all different colours in a bucket. And they're all being filled up. But the reason they were being filled up is so that the Father could lift them out of the bucket. All these different sponges, all different colours, all different sizes and squeezed out in different places. And we need to be filled to overflowing with the love of God that we can be squeezed out over a very dry world that knows nothing of the Father's love. So I pray, Lord God, would you come and fill us. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Lord God. A friend of mine, Paul, has got a prophetic word that he's going to share, a picture he's going to share.